The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the Hi guys and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, a show about all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Macca19. Joining me as always as co-host, we've got Fishing Rick. <laughs> I'm Macca. I'm still upset. Me too. I'm sad. I need a cuddle. Very sad. We cuddled enough at the game, mate. I know. I know. I'm but sad because still... this is the last review uh, game review podcast that we're doing. Yeah. Well, that's true. But, you know, at least we've got a lot of optimism for next year, which is a good thing. And just quickly, I'll just want to say thanks for um, Matt Tarrant for getting the tickets and having the honour of sitting with the Tarrant crew. You know, it was enjoyable meeting Don Draper and Rory and a few of the other lads. So yeah. we're putting some faces to the name, and I thought they were very hospitable. And and I just and for Boydie for inviting me over for a barbecue, I thought that was very generous of him as well. And it was great to have a bit of a footy chat with Boydie, the boy man. And uh, and lastly, apologies to uh, uh, to Kevin and uh, and the the other people that I was supposed to catch up with, and I, I ran out of time. But <laughs> what an epic day! Absolutely. And joining us back on the podcast again is Harold Oliver. How's, how's it going, guys? I'm pretty sad too. Oh. H. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, a, a depressing podcast, I think. Yeah, I wept all my tears, though. <laughs> Did, Did you? you make I wine from I... them? <laughs> it didn't taste too good. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, let's get straight into it. Uh, we'll do our love and hate. One thing we loved, one thing we hated. In and around Port Adelaide this weekend. Rick, I'll start with you, buddy. I loved our season, boys. Mm. I mean, what a journey. You know, Ken Hinckley, the master, should be coach of the year. If it hasn't been announced already, um, you know, for what he's done. He, they've ta- the boys have taken us supporters and the club as a whole on a fantastic journey. Who would have thought, you know, what we would have created at Adelaide Oval, the crowds that have gone, the atmosphere... Um, the performances that our players have delivered us for the bulk of the year. So, you know, my love is the footy club and the team for 2014. You know, can't it's go past. It's a great call. It is a great call. For me, it's been the most enjoyable season of football I think I've ever watched for Port Adelaide. All the other games across the AFL have been absolutely horrendous. But specifically for Port Adelaide, this has been my most enjoyable year of going to the footy. You know, it's... 01 to 04, I went, but like a lot of support supporters, and I think what created a bit of a divide with us and Choco, I didn't love his game plan, mm. right? But I, I love Hinckley's philosophy to football. To me, it's got a very strong link to Port Adelaide, its past, its heritage. And, um, yeah, for me, this even though we didn't win, it's been, yeah, right up there as one of the... It's taken me back to the 80s and 90s with how we played and, and dominated. And, yeah, and I've, I'm full of optimism for 2015 now. It's a game plan that's easy to love, isn't it? It is, absolutely. I think also I feel a lot closer to this group of players because they went through the hard times. They all stuck together, um, and now they're reaping the rewards of, of, that, um, of that loyalty, I think. Whereas with the 01 to 04 group of players, you just sort of knew that success was going to happen because of, you know, the whole startup squad and, and sort of seeking success that way. But with this group, I mean, there was definitely times uh, a couple of years ago you thought, well, geez, are we ever going to have success again sort of thing? But, you know, it, it's come around quickly and I, and I guess I feel a, a closer bond to this group than I did um, some of the others uh, in the past. Yeah, we've come from the lowest of depths, haven't we? The depths mm. of despair in such a quick period. Uh, space of time so well it's probably the the lowest point we've been at since probably what 85 yeah you know since 85 i mean we've just been riding a high and and the first few years in the afl um you know we had a bit of you know we were competitive and we had a bit of leniency because uh, you know we were new in the competition and uh yeah it's just i don't know the the, the original squad that won the premiership to me, it was almost a little bit mercenary. It was sort of like, 
oh, yeah, we got our title, and then we off we went and sort of everyone went their own way. Yeah, and even off-field staff sort of went their own way and they didn't really want to hang around for the long haul. It was just, you know, we were that sort of stepping stone sort of club to, to go on to other clubs or or just to, to be a foot in the door, whereas now we seem to be a club where everyone just wants to be at. And, you know, and hats off to the players. They've, they've really formed that new culture again at the club. Yep. And what about your height? Oh, how do we say his name? You pronounce it for me. He's in the grand final this week. Jasper Pittard. What? Hey, hey. It's not in the grand final. <laughs> Stevenich, man. isn't it? Whatever Stevich. it is. Matt Stevich. That bloody little Hawthorne sniper. <laughs> you know, I don't care. I mean, we might. it might not have been the difference in our, our bad kicking, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly, but... You know what? He really helped change the the momentum in that second quarter. Um, you know, nine free kicks out of a total of ten were from one umpire to one team, and you could understand if they were all there. Um, but you know, you got that controversial: is it a holding the ball or is it a trip? Uh, I haven't even seen a replay of that Gunston free kick, but you know, I've, from what I've been told, it was pretty woeful. But I guess overall, if I took him aside, just the the little inconsistencies in the umpiring. Jonas was, I think, was very, very unlucky with a minute to go uh, to get that holding the ball. He was on the, standing up getting the ball and got taken down in the tackle to start with. Had no prior opportunity other than... He was, he was on his trying. back. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's right. But he was standing up and he bent over to get it and then he got rolled. You know, and so, I mean, there was no prior opportunity and he was just trying to get the ball. And, I mean, is this what the game's coming to now where players are now just sweating off wanting someone else to get the ball so they can try and get holding the ball. I mean, if that's where we're going with the holding the ball rule and and the game itself, there's something fundamentally wrong because the whole ethos of football, I thought, was to try and reward and protect the ball winner and uh, and not penalise them. And then to get Brian Lake, who was on the ground, and jump on the ball and that be a ball up, you know, to me, they're, they're fundamental flaws. I mean... As we just said off, off, off air, Montfries was never going to kick the goal, even if it was a free kick. That was way out of his range. But it's still not the point. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're obvious free kicks that everyone can see and they should be paid in the umpires. And the other bugbear was bloody Andrew Moore in that last quarter. I saw the replay. He got, he got pinged for a throw. If it was a throw or not, doesn't matter. The umpire was right behind him. There was no way that umpire would be able to tell whether he handballed it or throw or threw it, and he just he's just guessed that it was a throw, yeah. and you don't guess if you don't know, you just let it play on. So it was to me it really it, in the end it sort of spoiled the game a little bit, which was a magnificent spectacle because it did come across a little bit biased, and you know we, we had our own issues outside of that, but yeah, but overall, go get nicked, you cheating maggot. <laughs> That's the way. Now. Harold, your love and hate. I'm a little bit the same as Rick, uh, despite the disappointing results. Uh, I'm, and I'm, you know, my, my love is the Port Adelaide Football Club. You know, the improvement on and off the field of the past two years has been amazing, and I think we've uh, we've built a brilliant foundation for future future success. And look, and we we just have to, and I'm confident we will keep improving. And it's only by hard work will we really get what we really deserve. And we're going to have to recruit well, deepen the list, especially in regards to our rocks, ruck stocks. Um, we'll have to continue to improve our systems. Like, for example, what really annoys me is our, our kick-ins. You know, we've been deplorable this year with some of our kick-in strategies. And yeah. in the game against the Hawks, they scored two goals from their kick-ins and we didn't score one at all. Mm. And uh, next pre-season, our team has to work hard on getting better in all areas, you know, get bigger and stronger. We have to be more composed and improve our decision-making and, you know, improve our tackling, disposal skills and, of course, our, our goal-kicking. And I think if we strive to build a base to best enable us not just to make the grand final, but, you know, next year let's just win the whole damn thing. Yeah. Uh, I, said to at the, I said to Macker at the game... Uh, as the season got on, I actually felt more comfortable with Jasper taking the kick-ins than Broadbent. It seemed that Jasper's decision-making from the kick-ins uh, started to improve 
exponentially greater than what Broadbent's was. And, and yeah, I thought Broadbent sort of got a little bit exploited with the kickings on the weekend. Mm. And your hate, mate? You're hating anything? Um, you're a hater? Oh, oh, I hate losing football games, uh, particularly finals. Mm. And, you know, there's no satisfaction from being one kick for a grand final for Port supporters. You know, our club exists to win premierships and that's always going to be the ultimate criteria for judging whether our season is a success or not. And uh, as Jasper so eloquently put it, we don't exist to come third, we exist to win premierships. Yep. And the other hate of mine as a result of the first hate is that there's going to be no Big Footy Port preview podcast to listen to on Friday morning. No, oh. we had some big plans, unfortunately. Yeah, we did have some big plans. We'll keep them for next year, Rick. Yes, we will. Hmm. Keep it a secret. Keep That's it safe. It. So you, Maka? My love was uh, Gus Monfries having a big final. In fact, he had a pretty big final series, I thought. He was someone that was heavily criticised throughout the season. Um, he didn't have a very good year in terms of getting some continuity going in his game. Um, he had some good games early in the season, but his second half was, it was a bit of a train wreck. Um, but I thought he really came uh, together in the final series, had a good game against Richmond, a good game against Frio, um, and to kick four goals against Hawthorne I thought was a fantastic effort. And, you know, his last quarter um, almost got us over the line. And what about that mark in the third quarter? Oh, incredible. It was a great grab. Yeah. So gutsy. Courage. Yeah. Absolutely. And my hate is uh, on a similar path to Harold's in uh, losing two huge games by under a kick in the same weekend. Just horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It was bad enough having to go to bloody uh, Melbourne to watch us lose by a kick and and all the the emotions that went with that. And then to to get back, to to leave Melbourne early, to get to the SANFL Grand Final at halftime and to see us lose by a kick again. Um. Yeah, just not great. Not great at all. That's football. That's footy. That's it. Well, look, let's talk about the Brownlow. Um, any surprises there for you last night? Yeah, Paddy D. The winner. <laughs> oh, Patrick uh, Dangerfield as well. Well, I could probably... I can, I can accept Pritis, um doing what he did. Because, I mean... Some of his stats sort of stacked up, you know, but he's just one of those players. Um, he's a workhorse, you know, but does that mean he doesn't deserve to win? He was a workhorse in an underperforming side. So, you know, history shows that that sort of player can always uh, do pretty well. I mean, yeah. I thought, but I thought Paddy Dangerfield was grossly overrated uh, by the umpires, which then leads to, I thought, Jordan Lewis and Robbie Gray were really underrated in, in an insulting way. Uh, for both of those players uh, by the umpires. Yeah, Jordan Lewis deserved um, to be far further up the ladder than what he was. He got 15 votes, but I think 13 of them came in the last five rounds. So he he came home with a bang. Um, But yeah, he he sort of went missing in the first half of the season um, uh, in in terms of the umpires. And look, I thought Matt Prittis is a a very deserving winner. He's been a, a good to very good player for a number of years. He's been on the borderline of old Australian a few times. He's um, very consistent. He's so. very, very consistent. And whilst people um, criticise him for his foot skills and, you know, he's slow as a wet week and all that sort of stuff, but he gets the ball, he's tough as nails, he wins clearances, he gets it forward. Um, he's as good as uh, any inside midfielder in the league, really. And no one took Absolutely. votes of him. Well, that's exactly no. right. Yep. Whereas we had Melbourne players taking votes off of us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh-huh. true. Well, look, Probably Travis Boak was, was the best of our uh, best of our players with 21 votes. He had the chance to win it in the last round, but didn't score any votes. I'm not sure he was really expected to either, but no. it was great to see him up there in the count. Uh, Robbie Gray scored 14, so he was 12 behind the winner. Didn't deserve to be 12 behind, but I guess his season was one where... Um, it was always going to be tough for him to score Brownlow votes, if that makes any sense. Mm. Because I thought in the first half of the year, Robbie Gray was really consistent, but he was always that third or fourth best player um, in the game. So he was always going to be just either just in or just out of the votes. And in the second half of the year, I thought probably his three best games came in losses. Um, mm. as, as we know, it's very hard to, uh, to score votes in losses unless you're a Melbourne player. 
I really think, though, you know, he's a player you notice, surely. I mean, anyone who loves the game loves the way he plays it and his evasion through traffic. And he, surely he would have stuck out like a sore thumb, I would have thought. But... Mm. Yeah, who knows? If Robbie Gray has a season as good as this one next year, I think he'll score a good sort of 25 votes. I think the other one would be Hamish Hartlett. I thought he voted quite well. And he finished off the season. His last two months were impeccable. So if a Hamish Hartlett starts the season and continues in that form the whole way through, I think going by this year's form guide, he might be one that might accumulate a lot of votes quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the bloody umpires, they, you know, they effectively ignored Robbie, and why didn't they ignore him all year? Then Travis would have been you know, our first Brownlow medalist. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. It was, I mean, yeah. Patrick Dangerfield was another one which was a bit of a surprise, as you said, Rick, but I guess he's always that type of player that's, you know, he's super quick, he has these fantastic breakaway clearances, he can kick a good goal, um, and even if he doesn't do much, he normally does two or three um, recognisable, noticeable things which would probably stay in the umpire's mind a bit. How good was Gary Ablett, though? Amazing. Mm. He would have well, annihilated it if he played oh, the whole set. Oh, he, yeah. would, he would have got 35 votes or something. Yeah. <laughs> he would have killed it. Uh, Nat Fife would have been second, too. Yep. I would have thought. Mm. Yeah. Well, a few people are forgetting that he, he was legitimately rubbed out at the end of the day, so yeah, the head clash true. became yeah, irrelevant. Yeah. So, well, uh, true. Yeah. No, yeah, I don't right. know how bad that incident was anyway, the second one. Probably the biggest surprise for me was Kane Corns getting three votes in the first <laughs> showdown. Where on earth did that come from? <laughs> Indeed. And what what did he do? But he had a, like he had good figures. He had 33 touches and, and all that sort of stuff, but... Jeez, I mean, Hamish Hartler didn't even get a vote. The best link-up game ever in the history of AFL football. I'm sure, I mean, (laughs) Kane's not a horrible bloke. I'm sure if you asked him and said, how did you get three votes against that Adelaide side in that game, he'd probably go, I don't know. Well, look, let's go on to our AFL review. It was a pretty shattering result. We lost by three points to Hawthorne. It was the preliminary final played on Saturday evening. Uh, we lost 13 goals 17 uh, to 15 goals 7. Gus Monfries, as we spoke about before, kicked four goals. Robbie Gray kicked three. They were our multiple goal scorers. Um, I guess like much of the second half of the season, uh, it was a bit of an example of not taking your opportunities. Yeah, we kicked a lot of points in the second half of the season, didn't we? In numerous mm. games, um, yeah, and we so we really didn't seize the day. And but I mean, what an awesome first quarter that we uh, we demonstrated. I mean, that's what we were talking about. We needed to come out firing um, if we were going to have any chance. And God, did we smash Hawthorne in that first quarter? They were fumbling and you know had disposal errors. They were not playing like Hawthorne at all. No, uh, that, you know, sure. We were hard at the ball and ferocious at the contest. And Bokey and Gray were leading by example. It was just a brilliant start. It was perfect. Yeah. Well, the lead, all the leaders stood up in that first quarter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shulzy. How many disposals did he have? Yeah, yeah he, he was roaming the, uh, roaming the field yeah. like a rover. It was great. He had nine in the first quarter from yeah. memory. And, um Obviously, he was trying to probably suck either Brian Lake or Gibson up the ground, I would imagine, to try and create a bit of space and stop them doing their uh, their third man up. Mm. Yeah, we were getting the opportunities, but we just weren't nailing them. That's right. Well, look, before we go too in-depth into the review itself, I want to get your experience of the game, uh, first and foremost, or, or of the weekend as a whole. Um, Harold, I'll start with you, mate. Uh, did you go over for the game? Yeah, we drove over, a group of us. It was uh, We didn't uh, leave till about 6.30 in the evening, so it was a pretty leisurely drive, and we didn't get to Caulfield until about, well, after 4am. Wow. But uh, we we got this really big patch of fog in between Ararat and Bacchus Marsh, so that really slowed us down. Yep. But besides that, it was pretty uneventful. 
you know, got hardly any sleep and Saturday was a bit of a waste, mucking around trying to get Mikey tickets and getting misdirected, so we missed the march, so that was a real bummer. And uh, then we made our way up to our seats in the, the Olympic stand and probably about, you know, five rows from the back in enemy territory, hardly a port supporter near us, but fantastic view. And it was blowing a gale up, up there, so it was like braving Antarctic conditions. But <laughs> So that was about it, you know, as far as until the game started, which was absolutely magnificent. Yeah. So how was the crowd from your perspective? Was it no like from where we were? It was very noticeable that um, the port crowd, but I don't know if it was just echoing where we were. Oh or... no, it was, we were making a lot of noise. There was no doubt about it. And uh, Macker and I were talking off, you know, off air that uh, it was a little bit disconcerting because you know our cheers, God would rise and scream like anything every time we had a shot for goal and then the ball would just veer off and you think oh my god we've scored another one but no we mm-hmm. hadn't quite because <laughs> I was right on the wing so you know a few of the goals but no but our crowd was fantastic I thought yeah what about you Rick yeah I flew over Saturday morning got up at four and uh, took the six o'clock flight uh, got in and uh, yeah same, worked out the, what are they, the Mikey cards or whatever and took the train to, to Boydie's, uh, had chatted footy and finance with Boydie, Boydie for a couple of hours and, and as you know, I ventured over to Bell's, probably left it a bit too late really because um, got there just at the end and you guys were all tanked and stumbling <laughs> and hugging each other already before the, before the game started and I was thinking, what have I got myself into here? <laughs> and uh, But then I missed um, I missed Kev who was there at, the, at Bell's and... Uh, um, Someone else, I apologise, I can't even remember. Um, was it you, Harold, that was supposed to meet me at Bell's or something? I think, uh, it, I was, I think it might have been you. We yeah, were supposed I was to meet catch it. up at the march, but no, yeah. didn't get there. And then I saw on Facebook all these other people I've got on Facebook that, that were at Bell's as well, and I didn't see any of them. So <laughs> I probably, I probably, it would have been nice to have got there a bit early and I could have probably socialised with a few people. And you know, But then we, we wandered to the MCG and... and sort of tacked on to the back of the march there. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was inspirational seeing so many Port supporters there. And I think it's a bit of a fallacy that, you know, Port Adelaide doesn't draw big crowds and Port Adelaide doesn't have travelling supporters. So I think, you know, Saturday show that we do and should put that myth uh, to bed. We're, we're very loyal. And, yeah, the game itself, I just thought, you know, the Hawthorne supporters were quite quiet and only wanted to, to cheer when, when Hawthorne got four goals up and outside of that, you know, it was just the, the port cheering the whole game and, you know, you've got to give us our supporters credit. They're very passionate and create a great atmosphere and it was just surreal just sitting there. I haven't been there for a while. Um, just sitting around looking at pre-game and it's an amazing stadium. Yep. You know, just, it's a coliseum. That's how I describe it. Yeah. And uh, and the players played like gladiators, so it was a the wrong result, but a great day. Absolutely, I had just about one of the best weekends of my life. Even though we lost, it was just a fantastic weekend. We drove over with a group of six. Um, we drove over on Friday, arrived in Melbourne at midnight. A lot of memorable stories um, on that trip. We went to uh, went to the Bell's Pub um, uh, over lunchtime. That was fantastic. Heaps of poor people there. Uh, we did a bit of the march. Um, obviously, we watched the game, went back to Bell's Pub after the game. Uh, then I walked back to the accommodation, got lost in the city. Um, so a 45-minute walk took about an hour and a half. That was probably not so <laughs> fantastic. Um, but it, it did give me a, a great chance to come to terms with the result and um, and find peace uh, that, that we had <laughs> lost, um, the prelim final, I guess. Um, and then a very early start the next day. We left at uh, 6 a.m to try and get back uh, in, in time for the grand final um, and was able to uh, to get there at half time of, of that one. But I agree, there was probably, there must have been a good sort of 23,000, 24,000 port supporters at the ground. We were everywhere. And, and as you said, Rick, we were sitting next to each other and, and the noise that was coming out from the port supporters was just reverberating around the whole stadium. And 
and I think it probably shocked the Hawthorne supporters a little bit because they just weren't cheering much at all. It was only really after goals, and, and then it was just sort of like a quick cheer, and then five seconds later it was silent again. Or ball. Or ball, yeah. That was probably the <laughs> other one. Yeah. But I, I thought our supporters were fantastic and, and almost wheeled the club across the line. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the game. As we said, um, we were all over them like a bit of a cheap suit in that first quarter, but we only kicked three goals nine, and that's probably something that might haunt the club for a while, I guess. But at the same time, Macker, I think it will create a bit of fire in the belly mm. for the boys. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'm not one for saying I don't want to make a grand final. I always want to make a grand final. For sure. uh, but I think, yeah. but I think, 2007, and even if you look at the the demons in 2000, sometimes if you make the, make the final at the wrong time, it can and if you don't perform, which I don't think the boys would do though, um, it can set you back. So I think in a way, even though I'm disappointed we didn't make it, I think the fire in the belly and the work, it will just that will just generate more inspiration for the boys going forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've because it's been a few days now since the game. You know, everyone's commented and and had a lot of insightful comments. I guess the one thing that I really took out of the game, outside of those cheating yellow maggots, <laughs> is the um, is the fact that the difference of what a key forward makes to a footy side. Mm. And Jared Ruffhead reamed us oh, on Saturday. He what was a incredible. Player. He was incredible. He certainly didn't get a lot of the ball. Um, I mean, it's, at one stage there, I think he had five kicks for four goals. He got a lot of the ball late when he moved uh, a bit further up the field. But, I mean, he was he was the difference in the end. We just didn't have um, anything to stop him um, getting those sort of... And they were sort of cheap goals. I mean, I thought Carlisle did a bloody good job on him, but he just kept mm. finding space over the back. The ball would go at the back and he'd sort of soccer through another goal and you thought, oh, here we go again. The thing was, he just didn't miss... No, well, yeah, that was Hawthorne as a whole. 15 goals, 7. Yeah. And they were they were kicking them from everywhere. You know, they had a number of shots from sort of 40 to, to 55 metres out on, on all sorts of angles, and they were just going straight through the middle. But isn't that the experience of playing regularly at the MCG compared to once oh, no a year? Doubt. No doubt. I mean, they're a finals-hardened side as well, so they would have uh, been able to deal with that sort of pressure. And Look, I mean, you, you go through... Uh, goal-kicking through the second half of the year, as, as you said. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not a great uh, not a great story. We've had a 10-goal 16, a 7-goal 18, 7-goal 16, 7-goal 14, 20-goal 20, um, and a 13-goal 16. So it's something that, uh, that the team really needs to improve on over summer, I think. Well, I think we just need to improve on our forward structure and where we, where we want to deliver the ball. Um, a lot of the time we're getting forced very deep into the pockets, which obviously make the percentage chance of conversion a lot less. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we did miss some sitters. Ollie Wines missed one. Brett Ebert missed one. Uh, Matt Loby missed one just off the top of my head. Um, but there was also a lot of difficult shots as well. And, you yeah. know, we can't keep relying on, um, like, the wind guard snaps, which was an amazing goal in the last um, but, you know, you can't rely on that. So you need to have that good delivery. I mean, that's where Sydney is so fantastic now with Tippett and Franklin. What do they do? They deliver it long to 10 metres out yep. and hit and try and hit up their tall targets. And we seem to have a lack a little bit of confidence, obviously, because we don't have the same sort of forwards um, to, to deliver the balls into those spots. But, you know, so that's what we need to work on. That's it. It's strange. You know, I've criticised in the past... Um, Robbie Gray and Westhoff, but they, they didn't miss the clutch goals in this game. No. Other players, or so. No, well, that's right. We spoke, about it, uh, we spoke about it, Rick, at, uh, during the third quarter when uh, when Robbie Gray, Justin Westhoff and Angus Monfries all kicked clutch goals, um, clutch set, uh, set shots, which they've all struggled with um, at times throughout the year. Um, and it was great to see them really stand up under that sort of pressure in a big game. The other thing I... Um to take out of it if we're talking about big game players. I thought Ken's move, which uh, I sort of noticed at the start of the last quarter, putting Wingard onto the half-back flank, opening up our forward line and playing with five forwards, giving us that extra defender to try and create the rebound run. Um, 
I thought it was another master stroke by Ken with his coaching. Um, and obviously, as we know, it almost resulted in us winning the game. But yep. it turned... I, and I can't... I'm not too critical of Chad for being quiet in the first three quarters because the ball wasn't really going to him, in a way. Um, so he was there, but it just didn't go his way. And uh, But he really fought his way in the, in the last and, and really provided the hardness at the ball and the run and... And, uh, yeah, I thought he was fantastic in that last quarter. He was, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting what you were saying about that move of putting Wingard on a half-back flank. Did you notice on the very last ball-up, the centre ball-up of the game, and it was like all our players were lined up on the half-back line of the centre square, and it was like the charge of the light brigade, and... We nearly pulled it off and only just went astray. You know, Wingard and all of them were streaming forward and we just didn't quite get there. Yep. Mm. No, that's right. So how were you feeling through the uh, the second and third quarters? Um, it did look like we'd blown our chance a little bit at quarter time. Um, and whilst Hawthorne started to get on top, I thought we, uh, we did enough to keep in touch. It was definitely like that. I, I felt exactly like that. At the end of the first quarter, it was like, oh, we've blown it. I mean, but we still had the momentum until, you know, Rick's mate, Stevic, you know, found a free 100 metres off the ball. And then, you know, just they got another little bit of luck with um, Matt White's, uh, sorry, Pollock's instinctive knock of the ball out of Jure's hand and a 50 metre. And and they just didn't miss. That was the trouble. Yeah. You know, we were still fighting. We were, and then their clearances and, you know, they started dominating the clearances and, their disposal efficiency and contested possession game lifted substantially, didn't it? It did. Well, they dominated the third. You, I, umpires or not, you can't take away their third quarter. Oh, was a magnificent, sure. mm. there, there was a, a magnificent third quarter. I actually thought we broke even in the second. Um, and I, I thought we still had momentum of the game. And uh, even though uh, I thought you know, the umpiring decisions was sort of trying to swing it away from our from us and Hawthorne was able to seize the opportunities and 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 take the momentum that was sort of gifted to us. They they really uh, took control in the third, but we always kept fighting back. You know, they would get to that four goal margin, we'd kick a goal. You know, we always were fighting to keep in touch, even no matter how um, dominant Hawthorne was becoming around the the clearances and especially the centre clearances and. Again, Macca, that's probably going to be something we're going to have to work on this season, the centre clearances. Absolutely. Yep. A, yeah. a genuine second ruckman would certainly help um, in that regard. Yeah, mm. It's hard to criticise Lodi, isn't it? It is. I mean, you, can, you can't. It you can just... tell he's just been battered and bruised all year and um, he was quite fatigued. But, you know, he, he had a pretty good game, I thought, as well. Yeah. And he took a mark inside forward 50. He did, yes. Impressive. I was going off. Unbelievable. <laughs> like, what's going on here? I needed so a that... defibrillator to uh, to awaken me after that. <laughs> <laughs> if only he could have delivered. <laughs> exactly. But I thought Ali, watching the replay, I thought Ali Paddy Carlisle had a fantastic game. You know, and you're right, Macquarie, Ruffy kicked some goals, but Ali Paddy, he was rock solid down there. Yep. And... He, he committed his body to the contest. And another one that I, we talked about during the game that was committing his body to the contest was buddy Matthew Broadbent. He didn't, he didn't shirk a contest and for every hard ball, he just, he just put his body on the line and he got hit a few times, but he just kept going back. And he won a few important clearances throughout the game. Yep. I thought he was our best on ground, Matty Broadbent, which um, yeah. I'm not sure many people would have seen it that way. But as you said, I thought... His attack at the ball, he just went 100% at it. Didn't matter what was coming the other way, what was hitting him from the side, he made his ball, He made the ball his objective, and nine times out of ten, he was winning it. I mean, it's hard to fault many of our players. The defence was fantastic, uh, I thought. Yeah. I don't think anyone really played a poor game. It was just everyone left it, uh, left it all out on the park. Well, if you think back to 2013, what was one of our weaknesses? We disappeared in too many games for too long a period of time and we couldn't stop momentum, even though we, we did improve. And 
So when we go take a take it through to 2014, we were really able to reduce those run-ons, except for that nine-goal run from Frio. But um, you know, we really we we reduced the the time out of the game that we weren't influencing the game, um, and we were able to control games for a longer period of time, which I guess is coming with maturity. So uh, again, though, you know, we did drop off for a quarter and a half, and even if umpires do work against us, we need to be mature enough to still be able to keep ourselves in the game, in the contest. And so we're making progression, but that's the next stage of our evolution to as a footy team to be able to even break that down where we lose momentum. And that's where Hawthorne and Sydney are, are fantastic bloody football sides because they might only lose momentum for five or ten minutes in a game, most games. Yep. You know, otherwise, it's either neutral or in their advantage. And, and so that's what our boys have got to keep working to. But you're right, we kept in the game. We were just, if we were within three goals at three-quarter time, we would have won that. It's just we just that one extra goal killed us. It did, yeah. Well, let's talk about the comeback. Um, obviously, it looked like Hawthorne had it won, um, sort of around halfway through that final quarter. Uh, then Monfrey's got, I, I guess, a little bit of a cheap one with a free kick there. Um, kick the goal. Um took the margin back to uh, around about 28 points. Did you think at that moment um, that we were a, a bit of a chance, I guess? I think uh, not at that moment. I suppose I thought I was a, we were a chance. You always do. But yep. I think when we, you know, Gray wrote that goal from Wingard's uh, mark in between two players and, and then Wingard kicks that beautiful check side, then I thought we were a chance for yep. sure. Mm, yeah, that, game on. That was probably the moment for me when Wingard kicked that miraculous goal from the boundary. That was the point where you know, I think three goals. There's probably about you know seven or eight minutes left. Still a big chance of winning this game. Yeah, there's plenty of time. It was, yeah. Oh, and then I became the unofficial timekeeper as my phone got barraged. <laughs> you did with time updates. Three minutes, <laughs> two minutes thirty. Oh, look, we we got. That's where we got the momentum back. And that's what I'm talking about. We need, but we need to reduce the time. Um, but yeah, look, Wingard was instrumental running off the half back line. He had a massive last quarter. If you took it on the last quarter, you'd probably give him best on ground. Um, Monfries was just loose, so we're just letting him run loose in the forward line, pretty much the whole time in that fourth quarter. Yeah, well, they were trying to stop everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So, what about that beautiful passage of play? You know, that ended up with the Wingard's pass. A pass to Monfries. It was just beautiful poetry in motion, some of that. Yeah, yeah. Teamwork. So, Great pressure so, teamwork. What about the uh, the controversial play on by Brad Ebert, which is easy to analyse in, in hindsight compared to in the action, you know, under pressure. But As you know, time, Rick, we, we were right there. That was uh, right in front of us, I guess you could say. <laughs> um and at the time, I was absolutely spewing because he had a look and he chose to go. It got smothered, free kick against. Um, and at the time, it was like, oh, well, that's the game right there and then. But um, in retrospect, I think it was probably the right decision to make um, to do that move. He had a quick look. He saw both, I think it was Schultz and uh, and Wingard free in, in front of their men. If he had have got it over... Um, Hodge or whoever spoiled that ball, we would have taken that mark and, and arguably kicked a goal and, and put us in front. So I think in retrospect it was the right decision to make. Yeah, I thought at the time that, oh, why don't you steady and have a shot? But he was too far out to Yeah, he, he was probably that about 60 out. But yeah. yeah. yeah I didn't have a problem with it. I, I mean, I guess in hindsight, probably the execution of his play on, he probably should have sold Hodge the dummy uh, or the bork, you know, tried to bork him. And and he he probably would have given the space because Hodge was as he said post game knackered, but I mean Hodge is a great player. So I mean he could have, you know, sliding doors. He could have tried the balk and Hodge might have picked that too. I mean he's a yeah. fantastic player. Luke Hodge reads the play well. So yeah, I mean if it was probably the other seventeen players on the ground, he probably would have got his kick off. You know, yeah. but I mean you had to. I mean he didn't know. He could he might have for all he knew there was ten seconds left. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. right. It was pretty late in the game. It was, you know, probably around about the 29-minute mark at that point. 
Um, yeah, you, you would have been right in saying that, you know, players would have been thinking there wasn't much time left at all. But I think the, the, the moment for me, which, uh, which I thought proved costly, was Andrew Moore taking a, a clearance out of the centre. He had a, a mile of space in front of him, um, and he seemed to get a little bit confused as to what to do, whether he should have had a shot or, or taken a pass. He ended up sort of doing this mid-range chip to no one in particular, and it was just chipped off um, easily by a Hawthorne player. Um, yeah. And that was probably the moment uh, where you thought, well, if he had have had a bounce and had a shot, could have gone in, um, it could have won us the game. And I'm not suggesting that Andrew Moore lost us the game when I'm saying that. I'm saying that that was probably um, more of a critical moment than Ebert's play on. Yeah, it's hard to be critical, isn't it? Mm. None of those instances cost us the game, really. No. No. In games like that, I don't think any anything costs us the game. I mean, people are sort of saying, well, Moore should have gone back and, and, and kicked that goal from the boundary, but that was a bloody tough kick. If he had have kicked that, he would go down in Port Adelaide folklore just like Scotty Hodges did in the 96 prelim. You know, that, I had a thought. that tough a kick. It was I had a thought, tough. though, when I was watching the replay, I was just in a, to BT commentating on a, on a couple of the shots on the goal who obviously he's played a fair few games at, at MCG. It, it wouldn't have hurt the club maybe to have got a local native and, and someone like BT probably with his ego and, you know, and getting a bit of profile probably would have come out. But, you know, maybe the day before, just having someone with a, a lot of local knowledge coming out and just giving the boys a few tips on, uh, on how to kick at the MCG probably wouldn't have hurt. Look, uh, let's talk about uh, our best players. yeah. Tough one. Everyone was fantastic, really. Um, you know, no one really had a, a down game. I thought they all tried hard. Um, I probably had uh, Travis up there, our captain. Uh, I thought he, you know, magnificent uh, performance. Um, I would have had Matty Broadbent uh, second best on ground. Uh, I thought he he was trying to be his uh, is an inspirational halfback flanker for us and put his body on the line numerous times, as a few players did. Um, Alipati Carlisle I'll actually give third best on ground um, because I thought he was hurtling down back you know we lost we had Trangove go off Homch went off but he kept putting his body on the line and he kept trying to get the ball and he was trying to sweep it out uh, Angus Monfries get him in the players and then you know there's a whole host Hamish Hartlett I thought he had a, a respectable game as well yep especially early mm. Harold yeah, I couldn't separate Robbie or Travis for best. You know, Gray was at his elusive best, and anyone who didn't know he was elite beforehand knew that he was after that game. You know, he was disposals and score involvements, and you know, whether it was in the middle or isolated up forward, it was fantastic. Uh, you know, Travis, despite being heavily tagged, played a great captain's game. You know, he almost willed us over the line there. And as Ken said, he's a young captain, but and he's just going to get better. I really liked uh, Tommy Jonas's game. Sort of brilliant defensive work, you know, shutting down players the caliber of Bruce was fantastic, and loved his intercepting contested marking. Oh, oh, that pass in the second quarter to Schulz that went about 50 meters was beautiful, and you know he had 92 percent efficiency or something like that with his disposals. So I really loved his game. You know. Had to include Angus for putting aside the whole Asada hearing distractions and four goals. You know, one of the few players who made the most of their scoring opportunities and did a good job on Birchall. And like I said before, that courageous mark in the third quarter was brilliant. I think he saved his best game of the season for the biggest game of the year. And as Rick said, you could throw a blanket over a whole group of players like Hartlett, Westhoff, Homsch, Broadbent, and Carlisle. But I like Jared. Pollock's game, you know, I thought it was pretty consistent a good game over, yeah. over four quarters and I, we have to mention that goal he kicked in the last quarter Oh, it was a ripper mm. it, it was sensational Really, sensational. It's a goal! It's, it's a, goal. a goal! It is! It's a goal! <laughs> <laughs> we were laughing our heads off on Sunday <laughs> It's a goal! <laughs> I, I actually don't mind BT as a commentator uh, And just imagine what it's going to be like next year uh, Jared, ah, another preseason. He'll be great. Yeah. He had a very yeah, good final be... series, so that was uh, that was good. Again, similar to Monfries, he had a pretty of a, a bit of a criticised second half of the year. So for him to 
to come good at the right time of the season um, was fantastic, I thought, as well. Um, my top five, I had Brody best on ground. I thought he had a fantastic game. was near about uh, unpassable back there um, across the half-back line. Really set up a lot of our score involvements, I thought. Uh, Travis Boak, uh, our fantastic captain, just had a wonderful game on the weekend as well. Kicked a great goal, had a number of tackles um, and led from the front in the middle. Robbie Gray, I mean, geez, he just gets huge numbers every week now. 25 touches and three goals. He's been getting those sort of figures for the last couple of months of the year. And he's arguably been our best on ground in, you know, the last seven or eight games, such as his uh, consistency of performance there. Um, Gus Monfries is fourth best. His four goals in his last quarter nearly won us the game. Um, and a big shout-out and fifth best on ground to Jasper Pittard. I thought he had a great game. Ah, uh, Jasper. What a legend. I thought he was really, really good, really cool under pressure. Um, and defensively, he was doing a lot of uh, a lot of hard stuff, winning a lot of contested bowl, um, and, and laying some pretty neat tackles as well, I thought. He it's had a, a good, good final start. series. He did, very good. Just what I was going to say, he's a pretty good finals player. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. If you're talking about players quickly, what about some of the passes that Harlot did in the first half? Oh, uh, incredible. So, some of those passes that he just delivered, pinpoint yep. accuracy, amazing. That's why they clamped down on him. Mm. That's right. Well, look- I'd just like to just say one thing that, you know, our, our whole finals the last two years, we've really performed well on every single one of them. And that's why I don't think our players will drop off. It's not going to be like a post-2007 or anything. They're going to no. work harder and get better. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure of it. I don't, I don't think Ken will let them drop off, no. to be honest, or Burgess. I they think, won't let I think- them themselves. No, but I, I, even if they wanted to, I think the, uh, the, yeah. co- the those two coaches would be right into them. I just, I just can't see it. And as as I was trying to explain on the board um, yesterday, uh, I just think that with our age demographic of the players, um, nearly the bulk of our side has percentage increases available um, in improvement in their performance. There's probably only four players on our list where they're probably at an age where they're capped to what their improvement can be. Even Robbie Gray and Travis Boak, I think, can improve by now delivering at a higher, a reg- more regular, consistent um, approach to their games compared to the past. So even those boys can improve even more. So when you think that there's so much improvement and they're coming up against teams like Sydney and Hawthorne, which are almost at their at their growth, with, especially with their peak players, um, their ceiling, we, we should be able to pass those if they work hard and keep their focus. All right, on to the SANFL. Of course, it was the grand final on Sunday um, at Adelaide Oval. It was Port Adelaide versus Norwood. A very disappointing result. Uh, we lost by four points, 11 goals, 12 to 12 goals, 10. Uh, how did we see this one? Did you? Did any of you two see the game? Or get to the game, sorry. No, I didn't. I, didn't. I, I listened to I it on the radio on the way back from Melbourne. Yep. I, uh, I got home pretty late in the morning and so decided to watch it on TV. That's but I thought it was quite... Ironic that um, it's the highest grand final crowd since Port Adelaide last was in a SANFL grand final. And yeah. uh, there's so many people that are happy to, to try and bastardise and, and get rid of the Port Adelaide representation in the SANFL. Uh, but they're sort of cutting off their nose to spite their own face in a way. Mm. I think if you were to ask the SNFL what their ultimate season would be, it would be um, if crowds were up, um, you know, Port and the Crows have a good year, um, probably Port in the grand final, but they don't win it. Um, so I think they got their wish there. Um, because the crowds are up, you know, money's obviously going to be up. You know, big, huge crowd in the grand final. The two traditional teams, Port versus Norwood, um, and Nord win. <laughs> so the the, uh, the state's favourites uh, got over the line. Um, it was a pretty interesting game. We looked absolutely shot in that first quarter. Nord kicked 
the first five goals of the game. It was bringing back memories of 20 years ago. Um, but we came back pretty well in that second quarter and, and got uh, got a bit of a, a consistent run on ourselves, kicked five goals for the quarter. Um, and we were back in the game, you know, seven points in it at half time. I thought yeah. Norwood were just a little bit cleaner than us for the bulk of the game. Yeah. They, they, they used the ball a little bit smarter and, and were more efficient with it. And we were a little bit wasteful. And especially in that last quarter, um, we really missed our targets and, and didn't execute that well at all. And that ended up really ultimately being the difference between the two sides. Yeah, I think it's amazing that we got as close as we did, to be honest, because you look at the stats and we got absolutely pounded. You know, we lost the hit out 64 to 28. We lost the clearances 45 to 33. They had 21 more inside 50s than we did. They had a lot more of the bowl. Um, but we nearly came away with the win. No, it was a great effort, really. Against the odds, I mean, everyone goes on about, oh, you know, there's 19 AFL players, but I watched the replay, you know, yesterday, and it's like boys against men, some of them. Yeah. Some of the contests. And I think that's what got them over the line in the end. You know, they were just, you know, contest after contest, and we just couldn't break through, you know, what Nor would do so well, just defend and play crap football. Mm. It certainly was sort of goal for goal in the second half there. And look, Norwood had a big chance in the at the start of the last quarter to, to put the game away. I thought they controlled the first 15 minutes of that quarter. Um, they played the game almost solely in their forward 50. But our defence, particularly led by Daniel Flynn of all people, um, <laughs> stood up incredibly well. Flynn, had some Just... absolute magic moments in that last quarter. Because he was <laughs> terrible in the other finals games, but... So impressive in this one. Yeah, under absolutely. the utmost pressure. He didn't get caught either, did he? Did, no, did no, no. He was uh, he was running it out. He had some some great spoils, some great tackles. Um, he had a fantastic game, uh, one of the, his best games for the year. So that's uh, I think that's a fantastic sign. Him doing that uh, in in such a big game like a grand final. Um, but of course we we got our chance. Cracker kicked uh, his third goal. Um, from Beautiful. deep on the boundary, a, a fantastic shot. Um, and suddenly we, we had a bit of momentum, but just like the day before, we just couldn't get it over the line. No. Sammy Gray oh, had a I, shot, you know, uh, which uh, was sort of went across the face. Um, you know, I think Samo. Samo had a shot, which, you know, he, he probably should have nailed. Away. But it was a pretty tough shot. Um and, of course, the siren went as the ball was flying into the Ford 50 again. So how did you see some of our um, key backup AFL-listed players in the game? Close to AFL selection, do you mean? Yeah. Look, I thought Kane so Mitchell... Yeah, so yeah, Kane... Ben Newton, Kane Mitchell, Aaron Young, those type of players. Yeah, I thought Kane Mitchell was our best player, and if we had have won, I thought he would have won the, uh, won the medal, the Jack Odie medal. Uh, Newton was okay, just okay. I thought he was a little bit yeah. sloppy. Um, Aaron Young had mm. a very good game. Um, Paul Stewart was very disappointing. Ever since he signed that two-year contract, he's played about one good quarter of football, which is uh, disturbing. Um, Cam Hitchcock wasn't too bad, um, and that's about it, really, for those guys sort of close. I thought Logan was very disappointing. For someone that's had some huge figures throughout the year, um, he just couldn't get near the bowl at all. Yeah, Stevenson was okay. Had a few moments, but you know, a bit wasteful at times as well. Yeah, so. I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was really good um, when it mattered in that last quarter. Um, mm. Again, similar to Flynn, he made some really good spoils and and laid some hard tackles, that sort of thing. Um, Carl Amon Fle- wasn't too bad, I thought. Fleury was a bit better because his final series has been shocking as well. But I see, thought I thought he was, he was really disappointing. Uh, on uh, on Sunday, yeah, I, th- I think oh, okay. having watched his final series, you can tell why he didn't get games when we were without Carlisle and Trengove. Yeah, it was obviously disposal. Not necessarily disposal. He's just uh, very slow off the mark and uh, just doesn't seem to have his head in the game for long enough periods of time and, and allows his direct opponent to to find some space and mark inside fifty. And it, it's happened regularly throughout that sort of. You know, last two months of the season. So I think you can really tell why um, he didn't get a, an opportunity, which looked like he should have got. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that's that's definitely something that he needs to work on in the off-season is, is finding that 
yard of extra pace and, and making sure mentally that he's switched on for a hundred percent of the game. And where yeah. were you sitting, Macca? I was standing uh, in the members area, um, uh, probably on the fifty meter mark, uh, just under the chapel stand sign. Uh, that's where I was. Uh, did you have a good view of Sam Russell's goal in the first quarter? No, I was still in a car at that point. Oh, okay. Mm. You weren't there. No, I don't reckon it was a goal. On the replay, it looked like it. Nah, probably went over the post. The umpire was right there. Yeah, well, he was. Yep. Yeah. Don't listen to Timmy G. He's just trying to suck us in. <laughs> no, it, it certainly he was like a bit golfing. biased. I'm biased too. I'm very I thought... Uh, I thought Benny Newton was a little bit disappointing for mine. Yeah. I, he got I a lot of clearances and stuff, but... Just burnt he it. Wasted it. Yeah. yeah, he wasted it. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, you need to... For, for the quality of player that it, we expect him to be, he needs to use the ball a lot better than that. And and I guess I still got the same question mark with Aaron Young. I just... He's almost there, but it's just not enough at the same time. Yeah. And... Uh, he needs to, you know, he needs to now be really dominating at this level. You know, he needs to be like the the Nick Stevens when he's coming through Glenelg and Travis Boak. Even though they, those boys were doing it in their first year, um, you know, he needs to be taking these games every week and getting thirty plus possessions and and just dominating. And he, he's got the attributes to do it. I mean, he he had some great explosive runs on the weekend and, mm-hmm. and really cut through the pack and was able to break the tackles, but then he just disappears. Yeah, he's had a bit of an interrupted year too, hasn't he? So how yeah, did we see? Uh, how did we see Johnny Butcher's game? I liked his marking. Hmm. I thought he looked very solid with his marking. Yeah, on a few occasions, he does still run under the ball. Well, maybe he needs to, maybe he needs to come from the half back line and run towards the ball more. I don't know. I thought his contested marking was a highlight, uh, probably the only mm. highlight. I thought, again, his positioning um, is horrendous. Um, his ability to to move for players uh, further downfield uh, to get to give an option um, to lead hard, he just doesn't do it at all. Like he just stands there, waits for a, a big long high kick to try and take a grab. If that doesn't happen, then he doesn't win the ball. Simple as that. So yeah. I, I was incredibly disappointed with this game on the weekend. Do you think maybe he's still carrying an injury of some sort? Look, it's his first, it was his first game back for a month or so, so maybe. But there was a few times where I thought players were almost pleading with him to just lead, just move. You know, There was a couple of times where I think Paul Stewart was getting pretty aggro, just sort of... You know, waving his arms around, just move forward, you know, give me something to kick to. And there was one time um, where I, I think we ended up goaling in the third quarter um, where we were running it along the outer wing. Um, and Butcher had miles of space to run. If he had to run hard, he could have taken a, a, an uncontested mark 20 metres out, dead in front, kicked a goal, got his confidence up. But he was just jogging along and, and didn't get anywhere near the ball. And we ended up kicking a goal anyway. But it could have been so much easier if he had ran ran harder and, and presented himself. And I think that's probably the main part of his game, which I'm really disappointed um, at at the moment. Um, you know, I, his defensive ability inside that Ford 50 is very good, but we don't want a you know 198 centimetre sheepdog, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing. The one that was noticeable for me on the TV, and um, I know I get a bit of bashing for the, the arch love as well. But what I noticed with Brendan on, on Sunday, Saturday, Sunday's game, he seems to have really picked up his twitch fibres, so to speak. He looked very quick, right, mm. with the ball, getting the ball, the movement, sort of expecting the play. So to me, he looks like he's really advancing through that the progression of levels and, and he, he's sort of taking himself now to that next level between SNFL and an AFL, so I'm really hopeful um, that he can probably get at least a one-year contract with Port, and I'll be really keen to see what he can do next year because he does seem to now be taking his pace of the game up to another another level now. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw it that way. 
He's certainly had a good second half of the year. Yes, yep. Of what I've seen. All right. Well, what a fantastic season. Disappointing end. Uh, but I think a lot to look forward to at both AFL and SANFL level next year. Can't wait. I'm, Hurry up. I'm summer. Yeah. Let's I'm just bypass so cricket season and go straight back to it. straight back to round one. I'm so excited to be looking at the rumour and draft spread for the next month. It's going to be overwhelming. That's it. Uh, just imagine if we got Paddy Ryder. He, he really beautiful. is the missing piece of the puzzle, I think. If we had him we on the talk- weekend, then uh, we probably would have won, to be honest. But Are we going to talk about same, Sam Day every postseason? <laughs> is that rumour coming up every year? I think so. It's probably like the green like rumour that comes up every I, year. I feel like it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> and the Alan Didag like rumour that came up every year. <laughs> well, well, that one's buried. Sure. That one's buried. We will be dropping Next back... Week. Yeah, next week we will be dropping back to one podcast a week from now on, now that the season's over, uh, just to stretch yes. it out a little bit. And uh, and so we've got some things to talk about um, throughout the rest of the season or throughout the rest of, of the year, I guess. Well. And a bit of a life. Yep, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> the wife will get to see me again, so she'll be happy about that, maybe. Yes. Probably, <laughs> pro- probably not, but that's okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, boys. I'd like to thank you two guys too for the fantastic job you do with the podcast and everything. It's really enjoyable. Look, we talk no, like thanks. that. You're welcome thank back you. anytime. Oh no, not for that reason. You guys, you fantastic job, and I love all the guests that you get on as well. So yeah, oh, look, we love doing it. It's great fun. Really, is great. Absolutely. Fun. And hopefully, um, hopefully, I might be able. To, Tim said he'd come back on and talk about history a bit, so I'll try and uh, when he's hitting me up for money, I'll uh, I'll hit him <laughs> up for bit more time on the podcast and hopefully we might, be, and we might be able to get a couple of players on as well, fingers crossed. So we'll see what we can do. That's it. Well, boys, until Thanks, uh, until next time, go Port Adelaide. Pleasure. Go to go go, uh, go, go the Port Adelaide footy club. Spears an inside 50. Schultz comes hard, flicks it out. Bokes, get it be appropriate. The captain, that is gold class. <laughs> Leadership agrees with Travis Boat. He's better than ever.